Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Bald Move Television Podcast, where the officially unofficial podcast for all of television. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Cecily. And as we do every Wednesday night, we are collapsing all of our television coverage down to a singularity that is Hulu's Harlots. Uh, Particularly, this is episode 304. Uh, This is the aftermath of the death, uh, the tragic death of uh, one Charlotte Wells. And Spoiler alert, but it happened. The The whole episode is, is essentially the fallout. It's essentially the wake, the funeral, the burying, uh, and then uh, the investigation of the murder. The and implications. The implications that people are being implicated in. What did you think of this episode, Cecily? I thought this episode was one of the slower moving ones, but also there's a lot of fallout to deal with. And there are a lot of people to implicate, it turns out. There's a lot of people who should have never met that are meeting and Cherry's there. <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot going on, but not as fast paced as most episodes. Uh what did you think? I thought this was a really good episode and it had me like kind of gasping a lot of different places. And I also thought it's they seem to be embarking on something of a redemption arc for uh Lydia Quigley. Uh, a Jamie Lannister-esque redemption arc. Like, this is her uh, crying to Brienne in the baths of the... Mm-hmm. What was that? The, the Where were they at? The uh, the, 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 the Heron Hall. Yep. Um, you know, was this was her, like, you you don't know the monster that raised me, and we and, and her, like, shocking death, like the choking on the fishbone. I thought that was a really strong scene, Ooh. and I'm starting to... It's like, well, I've, I've I've talked about this in in the last several weeks. Is like, how do you really hate Quigley because she's just doing the things that she was taught to do to survive? Whoa, the same whoa, whoa. way we're just talking about overall plots or thoughts on the episode. Yeah, yeah, you're right. No, but that's it. It's like we're I just getting right into it. I, I don't know how I'm. Uh, that's the thing. It's like I feel myself being sympathetic to her, but I also don't want to be sympathetic because. I thought that they were going to do uh, like like three quarters through this episode. I thought they're going to do something interesting with Quigley, which is to make her kind of like be this anti-hero that is going to slowly, you know, maybe everybody uh, allies against the Spartans, you know, for the final confrontation, whatever this this show, whatever the final confrontation the show looks like, and then. At the end of the episode, why she has all these strong cards and she's got Miss May's inheritance and her house and all that stuff. Like, she feels like she just goes right back to her old kind of, you know, petty villainies. Right. I thought for sure the first time she met Kate that Kate would not make it out of their interactions alive. Right. That as soon, I mean, as soon as she hands Kate off to the Marquess of Blaine, absolutely Kate's not coming back alive, right? Well, I well, thought... she did. Yeah, that's <laughs> the thing is, like, I thought that when... I thought that she might die because the, the, you know, Lord Blaine's such a shithead, but, like, I did think that Lydia was, uh, was honest with her intentions that she wants something better for Kate. I think so, too, but I also think that uh, Lydia quickly will sell Kate out if it means that she gets some shot at redemption for herself. I don't know. You know? I feel like she but might. But it was sacri- also at the same at the same time she and Kate witnessed Charlotte dying. So I also think that she's got some sort. Even if she names someone that she didn't even see there, that maybe she would use throwing someone else's name at the murder as an implication. Mm-hmm. 
rather than just be, you know, nameless herself right now, mm-hmm. which turns out doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether or not she escaped from Bedlam because the magistrate doesn't care. Yeah, and I also like they made it such a big plot point. Like I thought they these they were afraid to be seen on the streets, and Margaret was afraid to be seen on the streets. And now it's like they're both kind of parading and not giving. And like, it makes more sense, I guess, for Margaret to like, you know, it's still a bad idea. She just doesn't give a fuck because she's grief stricken over a daughter. But I don't, I feel like it's either I've missed something important or that's, it's a, a bit of a drop plot point that neither of these women seem like they are any of a, a, a concerned at all. Uh, same thing with like Lady yes. Fitz, like the way she's kind of like you know vamping around being notorious this season, like the fact that she's not worried that her brother might put her in bedlam or, you know, she doesn't. She has some kind of blackmail over him. Yeah. Um, the thing about Quigley right now is that she's got a couple of interesting things going for her, uh, such as now being inherent to Golden Square again. Mm. She's been rightfully pushed out. But she rightfully fought her way back in. How do you feel about that? Because it's absurd to me. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it it seems like she... She could have started to win. Like, what I think she wants is... I don't know. Because, like I said, the the whole arc of her plot this, this episode was her deeply regretting her past behavior towards Margaret and her daughters and how... How she sees through her relationship with Miss May, how badly she's gone. And that, like, like she had convinced herself, like, like Miss May and her father had treated her so badly that they had convinced them that, uh, that, that she, they were her friends. And she had internalized all that, like the Stockholm mm-hmm. syndrome. And mm-hmm. seeing the way Miss May was wanting to treat Kate, who has done nothing but try to be nice to Quigley, kind of shook her out of that. And I'm like, oh, so she's going to have this position of strength. Where she's got Miss May's assets and she's a partner and she's going to use that instead of like to try to muscle into these women's lives. She's going to like use that as like, a, like an olive branch mm-hmm. to like start to slowly rebuild the trust and be like, I'm so sorry. I now see how wicked I was and being in bedlam's changed me. Mm-hmm. And like at the end of the episode, she's just like. <laughs> I'm back to being a total bitch. I and will I'm never going to, learn, you fool. And and even though I can see you all grieving through like this this grimy window, like some kind of fucked up Oliver Twist, I'm gonna muscle in here and <laughs> let you know that I can look at the books, but that's I'm magnanimous. I can see you're grieving. I'll be back tomorrow. It's like I'll just look at the second books. But but maybe she's like a Jack Sparrow type where she just likes she just loves these opportunities to be the bigger person because she loves to watch them, loves to wave by to them as mm-hmm. they pass her by. I it's Yeah, so like I'm I'm all have, twisted up about how I feel about uh, Quigley and Well, uh, Kate. I have a very serious question for you. Okay. Are you prepared to entertain it? Yes. Who gives a sadder blowjob? Or not blowjob, hand job and a gun? As Skylar White or Lydia Quigley to Mr. Mog. I mean... <laughs> Which hand job is sadder? It's like if you adjust it for the fact that you've got a bod on call versus, you know, wife on husband on birthday, then I still think the reigning the reigning champion is is uh, uh, Skylar White for a world's saddest hand job. Because right. this, I mean, this Mr. Fair. Moog has had... 
I mean, you know, he's had a 50-year lecherous career with uh, Miss May here, and, like, I don't even know that he was all emotionally and mentally there for that. So it's like, it's it, that, that that puts the floor for the hand job. Where, do, you, do you score it differently over there on your judge's card? I I can't remember exactly the hand job that Skylar White gave Walter White. But she was uh, buying something on auction from eBay while it was going on okay, with her well, laptop open. I mean, just based on the fact that they were a married couple, I think that's a little bit more intimate than Mr. Mogg and Quigley. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give it to Skylar White for the more intimate detached hand job. <laughs> mm, mm, the distracted the distracted, the distracted job. hand job. Uh, I also want to ask you about whether or not Quigley is magic or losing her mind. Yeah. She has a moment towards the end mm-hmm. where she blows on a candle or something like that and the candle flares up. She takes a she... drink from her alcohol after Miss May had choked on a fishbone and yeah, like it's uh like something out of Penny Dreadful, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like you'd mm-hmm. like something out of a séance and it goes back to her doing the tarot cards and her mm-hmm. doing calling herself the high priestess. I wonder if there is some kind of screw loose or because in this time, like, that spiritism, occult stuff mm-hmm. was wild. Absolutely. And I wonder if, like, you're going to find that, that, like, because everyone seems like they have their hook. Like, she, her hook used to be that all of her ladies were, like, you know, fakey, educated, and could recite poetry. And then, you they know. They were play acting as goddesses in yeah. Greek mythology. Yeah. And, like, yeah. The, the Molly Boy house has got the thing. Like, so, oh, you're getting, your ta- you're getting your pants tailored. Wink, wink. Is she going to have her thing? as like she actually does seances and stuff, but she also is running uh you know a brothel like that this adds some kind of veneer of respectability plus like the the upper class were were ate up with that occult stuff too absolutely so, and they were doing you know, weird it, things like like having mummy unwrapping parties where they'd buy a mummy from egypt and unwrap it and be like oh look at all the crazy shit wild. And, i didn't even know that was a thing yeah they bought like i they're like egypt got plundered in the like well no shit well i mean right <laughs> they're just, but like they're just f- the way i hear is like there's like this mummies. like yeah they just like dig they just get mummies by the bushel and they grind them up in the powder and make tea out of it i'm not like this is all stuff you can look up on wikipedia um, you know, and so anytime I see someone getting prickly about, uh, because like, currently the 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 government of Egypt's pretty protective about what kind of archaeology they do, and it's it's like it's like yeah, they got they got good reason to be suspicious of other people coming in and looking at their dead guy, dead guys and gals. Yeah, absolutely. That spiritualism is uh, applicable everywhere, but nowhere at the same time. So it's like it could be a little bit of both. That like she's there's like this is kind of like her the bat crashing through Bruce Wayne's study that gives him the insight of, Oh, I need to do this too. And this could be like all coming together. Like, ah, I know what the, I know what the, the hook for my house is, but she just inherited a house. that's already got a good hook. Right. It's very reminiscent of uh true detective season three, mm-hmm. where the detective in that season is very much, an unreliable very, narrator. No, no, no. He's an absolutely incredible detective. He's mm. very skilled in his field, except that he is currently experiencing dementia. So that doesn't negate the fact that he's absolutely skilled when he's uh, cognizant and just lucid. But at the same time, uh, Lydia Quigley, if I'm going to go back to this story, Lydia Quigley may have those same kind of conniving and cunning and clever things that she's doing, but she's also kind of losing her mind because of the things she's experienced. Do you agree? 
I'm not sure. Like I said, I'm I'm not sure whether she's actually losing her mind. Uh, um, I mean, she certainly was see, like seeing things in Bedlam, or whether this is like a fi- yeah. I don't know. I guess I'm just uh, I'm just referencing it, specifically this candle flare. Outside no, no. Would of this, so so would this would this show actually do something supernatural? Because I don't know. No. I don't have a good I don't have I a good read so. on it. Honestly, like they ha- never have. But like, what about this show? Would be like. Well, this is a super real, logical Sherlock Holmes kind of like harlot adventure. Like maybe they are introducing something to like like some kind of spiritism or spells or something, right? But she's uh, probably losing uh, her mind. Uh, absolutely, I just think, just in my opinion, from what the show has taught us so far, is that those things could exist, but not in the course of the show. But it could be like coursing into that. Right. It's that narrative. I don't know. I don't understand why why she I don't understand why Lord Blaine trusts her or why she trusts Lord Blaine with because I do think that at this that where she trusts Kate into his care, she actually doesn't want to see Kate to die. But she has no reason to suggest that think that like because like, hey, I want a harlot to really impress the prince a fucking whales or whatever so i can get a governorship most... and i want to go to the bod that just got out of bedlam and has the one who's not in even it... a bod yeah and 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 like that this uh this uh harlot doesn't like it's a virginal harlot i think like like what it, I, th- this this particular plot doesn't really track for me because like i yeah like the, why doesn't she think this is just a scheme for him to get another girl to sacrifice at heart mm-hmm. to the spartans what leverage does she have over him you know i, I mean it, yeah that was that was exactly my point what you're saying and after like kate like shit the bed in front of the prince and humiliated him like that she was returned without any kind of scratch on is that you know you see what a you know what a just absolute that's the other thing it's like he seems like such a difficult prince to even uh charm at all even if you were yeah even if you were proficient in speaking slang and uh, you know some sort of curses and this kind of slang that's going around Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like that would impress the prince at all because he seems like he's of different tastes like you've got to have something extra special to win his favor or like be really debased and uncouth which isn't the type of uh harlot that uh uh that that that, that kate was presenting as Mm -hmm. so it's like it's just a really it's just a really i don't know there's like this is feeling a little bit plot contrivy that Mm -hmm. like they need to get all these characters back together and they have these moving pieces and it's like and that's fine i've i've seen shows do that before where it's like well we're gonna we're gonna have to ride through some some old muddy dirt roads to get back to the highway but it's gonna be worth it when you get there and it might be because like the other thing is like this this marcus blaine this lord blaine has like Mm -hmm. no redeeming qualities at all and it's like i I can kind of wrap my head around being like a serial killer mindset mm-hmm. where it's like this weird compulsion that like you try to control, you try to control, but then it gets too much and like, ah, oh, you, you know, you, 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 but this like where he's just relentlessly awful all of the time to everyone around him. Uh, I have a hard time understanding that as a character. Like what's his damage? I need something I to be a good villain. He has to have something. Right. That makes him more than just one dimensional. Yeah, it feels like it's got to amount to something because they're not selling Kate's virginity. They Mm. tried to sell her Venushood for Mm. 50 guineas and it didn't work to the prince. So 
And the prince is a, has different tastes, so we're not sure exactly. I don't know what the prince's tastes are. He, he looks right, like a exactly. it doesn't crazy seem man. Really he, defined well. Can I ask you, what is his relationship to Miss Pettifer? Are they married? No, he took... Uh, he. So is this his absconded ba- this with his... Anne Pettifer, and she was one of the like top performing mm-hmm. people oh, yeah. at the uh-huh. Golden Square House, right? And that's how they know each other. But, 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 so this is this Henry Harcourt is just like a his bastard child. Well, if they're not married, I guess he would be. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, I'm also like I'm wondering like how happy is he to have this son? Is this considered like an heir? Does this is this going to have something to do with like Lady Fitz going on? Like he I seems pretty happy and you know, showed her around these parties as if he weren't ashamed. But it's guys, I've watched enough ba- Downton Abbey to know that like bastardry was still pretty much a uh, big frowny thing amongst the upper class in the, you know, 1920s. So like, isn't it even more so like, I, 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 yeah, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm just really not sure where this whole Blaine thing is going. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, is the Spartan stuff back on? It seems like they backed off of that. If he's going to be a governor, presume that's like a post at like a colony. So like, are we? Is are they going to ship him off at the end of the season? Uh, I I don't know what they're trying to do the the to, to, to do with him. Yeah, uh, I don't Kate, know. But Kate is uh, going back to Lydia quickly, and Kate Kate is desperately trying to win his favor or the prince's favor. Which that's the other weird thing. She's like, oh, I missed out on being the prince's mistress. I'm like, did you? Is this like something you would actually say, Kate? Or are you saying this because you're trying to make Lady Quigley happy? Because it didn't seem like you were interested in being with this guy at all. Right. And it seems like you know how to romance a gentleman because that's how you got in the position you're in. Not to fix complain, but I think that's Kate exactly... loves men, but she loves men that love women. Like she loves a stable boy. Mm-hmm. She looks like she's just shaping up something with this. Uh, Magistrate Knox character, which we can talk about, but like she really has well, a hard time with people who just like, uh, just want to like just do sex for sex's sake or have this kind of like cruelty mixed in with it. And uh, that's fine. Here's the thing Kate knows how to fuck, Cherry uh, knows how to tell her how to fuck and talk dirty to men, right? What are your thoughts on Cherry teaching her no, the it's art super, of profanity? I, I love, I love Cherry. <laughs> it's it's incredible. a super cute scene, um, but it just doesn't seem like it, it. It seemed like the scenes. The point is to get her introduced to this Knox fellow, because like I feel like this, this, this year's Knox. Uh, Kate is going to be like last year's whoever that guy was, and uh, uh, who was the. Uh, who who was the person that was like uh, campaigning against the the harlots, the blind woman? Oh, uh, Scanwell. Scanwell. This is this is like Miss Scanwell versus the the magistrate of last season. This Kate and uh, Knox is the new version of that. So it's like that's where it's like kind of weird that like all of this stuff I feel like is not going to matter because they're going to want to pair them off, and there's probably going to be some kind of tragic outcome because none of the none of the loves in this series end in well, well or are going well. All right, well, stuff your stiff daddy in my snuff box, and let's move on to give me, Margaret. Give me the backward <laughs> sailor and pound my mossy treasure and move on to Margaret. How dare you speak to me that way? I thought I want to talk about Isabella. Yeah, Isabella is so sweet to this family, and I felt like that, like, on the first time I watched this, I felt like that her grief at Charlotte's death was a little muted, but I feel like that on second watch... um, 
Well, she's number one, she's a great lady. Number two, she's truly trying to keep it together for the Wells family. But there's, uh, I, I liked her burning the the, the picture of uh, the two women getting getting doing doing lady love. I I mean that yes, was a nice. I absolutely identified with that. But for me personally, I would have kept it. Oh uh, yeah, because right. Absolutely, as a it's a yeah. taunt. But to keep it as mm-hmm. a remembrance of this so, woman, if it's if she made it, it, if she it, looks at it and thinks more of Charlotte than than Blaine, then she should keep it. But I have a feeling she looked at it and saw more Blaine than Charlotte. I thought I really liked a line Isabella had about uh, I'm without family. You're without a home. Stay here with me. Uh, and like, you know, Nancy's got this like because everyone's afraid for uh, Fitz, Lady Fitz. And, you know, she, uh, Nancy Birch is talking a mess about, uh, sh- you know, we're not decent people. Are you sure you want to do this? And she's like, Charlotte's the most decent person I've ever met. I really I I liked how kind she was to the family. I hope she doesn't get pan- punished for it. There's also this interesting plot with Harriet's uh, keeper paramour. I don't know what he is. He's a snooty English high society type to try to shame Lady Fitz. To protect his wife's honor, and now he's like all about Harriet, and right. like Harriet was there to try to like collect Jacob, Jacob, and bring him to his family, and he's trying to make this all about sex, and like he's so gross the way he interacted with her, and then you see later on, um, uh, Lady Fitz is one of her friends, like is this guy's wife, uh, is like apologizing for not defending her, and it's like you know really appreciating what you're doing for your friend here. And then uh, she sees Harriet go by in one of her dresses, and she's scandalized that you know he's put her in one of her dresses. I wonder where they're trying to go. Like, is is Lady Fitz going to lead like a gentle ladies rebellion against the men? Like, you know, why are we all acting like our men aren't freaking dogs and letting them get away with all this? Like, there's going to be a ladies rebellion. Do you think that um, there's this really great scene between Mr. Young and uh, Mr. North where, you know, he's like, you know, Margaret told me everything about you. Uh, she mentioned all of your daughters had different fathers, but there's you, they only had the one paw. And like Mr. Like, like William looks kind of appreciative at that. But then he also kind of sets his face as like, yeah, the only the one husband, too, because she never married William. She married this guy mm-hmm. and she's kind of has this horns of dilemma because, um, you know, William North says, uh, re- acknowledges that you love this new guy. But she also says, reaffirms, I can never leave you, not ever again. Um, but Mr. Young is leaving for a fact in two days and points out to Nancy Birch that her best chance of living is to come with me. Do you have a feeling on which way this ball is going to bounce? She came over and wasn't even going to tell everyone that she was there. But when she did tell everyone that she was there, that she wanted them all to come to America right, with her. Right, right. And she also told Mr. Young that he knew everything about her as if he was her beloved. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just how I read it. That Those weren't words that were spoken. But she also told William North that he was her only true husband, that she would never get married. But she did get married to this guy. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of confliction going on, but everyone is completely aware of it. And it just feels like she is going to break one of these two men's hearts, and I hope it's not either of them. <laughs> this episode introduces a new character, uh, Magistrate Stuart Knox. Um, what did you think of this guy? 
Very handsome. Very Scottish. Kind of like a beefy, younger uh, Patrick Wilson, I thought. Mm-hmm. Beefier, younger Patrick Wilson. He's more, he's more handsome than the last. He's, he's more handsome than the last magistrate, for sure. Very much handsome. Very much taller, too. What did you think of him? I liked him. Um, he seems like he's a little bit more worldly wise than the last magistrate. Uh, he seems like he kind of values justice and, and truth as much as the last guy. Like, I liked his line about, you know, most killings in this city go unpunished, and I hate that. Uh, and I'll, you know, he, he says, I'll devour all you give me, but you must give me more because all they gave him to go on is uh, there was two women, two, ba- two harlots seen fleeing the scene, and she had a few to the tavern keepers, which honestly, that's not nothing. And he seems like he's a very effective, like he uh, is a really good interrogator because mm-hmm. like he's really got Emily Lacey sweating bullets. And, you know, he just confidently says, uh, you know, I think you're lying to me and your lies are going to crack like eggshells. Um, and I think it's super interesting how they seem to be hinting that there might be a relationship there between him and Kate. Because Quigley is one of the prime suspects of this deal. And Emily Lacey implicates her, but we know that in reality, Hal's probably the most res- person responsible for Lucy's death. So I'm kind of wondering how that's all going to work out. Um, yeah, he seems to be great at playing uh, playing these people. Mm-hmm. Like he comes into Emily Lacey and gains her confidence immediately with one sentence and then betrays that confidence immediately. Like you are being implicated. And you just implicated yourself. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the pinchers. Uh, I found Isaac's behavior very bizarre. And we all, it's so weird because we already talked about how we didn't really buy um, Charlotte and Isaac's relationship from right. her end. When I thought he was going up the stairs to kill her, but mm-hmm. he also ended up, or but he did end up fucking her, and she but said, not killing her. And she's like, oh, this is just a physical thing. But now Isaac was like really, truly in like love to the extent that he's stealing her dresses and rolling around on her bed and smelling it and walking around. Running and, through the streets. No, and like I said, Emily and Emily Lacey is like rightfully saying like, this guy what is- What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, he's going to get us. He's going to put the cops onto us because he's acting really bizarre and he's acting really guilty and he's acting like he's he's having a bunch of angry, shouty conversations about this this person and skulking around her gravesite. And I don't I, like uh, the character of Isaac's is all over the map for me. I thought he was like really smart and cunning and cold and ruthless, but oh god, no, he's just an idiot. Mm-hmm. Like I like I thought that he was the brains behind the operation and like Hal was the brawn, but now it seems like Hal is the bra- the brains and the brawn, but maybe not super brainy either. I I don't know. I I've been really enamored with Hal from the beginning, and I hate it because I feel like he's really charming in his smile he is. and his in his overcoat. He is a dapper looking dude, and the way he smiles at Emily Lazy and tells her he loves her, it's so it's so endearing. And it's interesting how I'm very interested in that. Both he refers to Emily Lacey as his pearl, and Lydia Quigley refers to Kate as her pearl of great value. They're doing something with that there, and I bet that both of these people end up selling those people out by right. the end. Both of these people view these other people as great pearls, and pearls have a price. Right, and you can and sell them. Well, you can for keep a pearl on your finger for as ever for as ever long as you want. 
they also have a price that they can be bought for. Yeah, and you can trade them for something even more valuable. So mm-hmm. uh I don't know. Like I, I also I'm curious to see what the pincher's next play is. Are they gonna like muscle are they gonna try to like muscle the gunsmith guy? But here's the thing I wanna talk about. I wanna uh, ask you about. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. But Emily Lacey overheard Hal and, and Isaac Pincher discussing how they killed Charlotte and not uns or in completely uncertain terms, but they absolutely were discussing how they killed her. And Emily Lacey overheard that. And the rest of her actions throughout the episode were influenced by her information of knowing that. What do you think about that? She knew that they killed her in some sort of intentional or unintentional way, but she knew that and all of her no, actions she, were influenced. Yeah, no, she's trying to cover for them because I think she thinks it was like an act, some kind of accidental tragedy thing. Absolutely, but she knew it happened. Which is kind of is. Like, I don't, the Hal didn't like. It absolutely was. No, yeah, like, Hal didn't like pick her. her up bodily and throw her over the edge. It's like he, she got in the, between the scuffle and she just kind of got, you know, knocked over backwards and. Sure, it happened, but Emily Lacey knows it happened, uh-huh. whether intentionally no, she knows or that they by were accident. There. She knows that she's lying about you know she their knows whereabouts. She's lying to and... the she knows she's lying to Margaret Wells yeah. at the end of the episode. Well, that's so... the one. That's the one that's going to really weigh on her conscience. Right. And... Emily Lacey is still trying to secure her piece of land in America. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is, why couldn't she still secure this she land won't... deal without? The I No, because I feel like the, the, her plot this year was try to secure some kind of independence for herself, to like educate herself, get smart with business, make some money. And now that things have gone bad at the gunsmith, like she's like doubling down and like, okay, I gotta, I gotta help the pinchers because that's my ticket to like out of, uh, out of being a tavern whore. Essentially, I think that's her motivation. All right. Uh, can we move on and talk about the Lucy Fredo Elizabeth venture? If you insist, uh, there's do you not need a lo- any wigs? There's not a lot to talk about here other than Croft. You know, there's fallout from uh, Fredo being a little bit too uh, out in the open with their relationship. And he's like, now th- we got to make... falling too hard too soon. We got to make the town think that Mistress is my Lucy. I'm going to have to pay you both. Um, do you think you would pay two people to... Prot- or? Two people to have sex with you, quote unquote, or would you just find someone more discreet that wasn't in the paid profession? I mean, Fredo, maybe he does. I mean, I don't know. Like, he seems like he really has a fondness for his Fredo character. Because yeah, you're right. Like, it, it seems. Uh, but you know what? I don't actually buy that. There's nothing in his manner that seems like he's like really especially fixated on Fredo the way that like. Uh, uh, Charlotte's keeper. I forget that guy's name. The the, the dandy. Lord Fallon. No, Fallon was the Spartan. This guy was just the uh, you know the kind of guy. Uh, like the, the he's just smitten with this guy. He seems like he's very logical and reserved and. So, like, yeah, I don't know why he doesn't just go to a different... I, I, oh, I, I think he likes this particular Molly house. I don't know... Because they are discreet. I don't know why he doesn't switch to a different Molly they're boy. They're new. They're discreet. He's not playing any kind of... uh, Any kind of, like, obsession-driven... Right. Like, sort of love interest. And 
But he did kind of do that when he attempted to expose him a few times last episode. But that was just like an emotionally driven thing. But well, just the way because I feel like Fredo is like really good looking, and he's got like this like different he's kind got of this vibe terrible about haircut. him. He's got a terrible haircut, but like I think you're supposed <laughs> to understand that he's like the Charlotte Wells of Molly Boys. But like Croft is not giving the performance of a person who is that enthralled with the Charlotte Wells of Molly Boys. Um, but I don't know, it's also like uh, Fredo and Elizabeth are like really concerned with like um, making Lucy and Mr. North feel comfortable with the deal they made. Like, whereas like, again, the first episode, I thought that they were nakedly just trying to take advantage of her or maybe take advantage of everybody because Elizabeth is also swearing that she's got the silk con guy wrapped around her finger and they're going to secure funding from that. But now they're going to have Lydia Quigley breathing down her neck. I... I get this the like the fifth time in, or fourth time in as many episodes that someone mentioned that like all these places end in hanging because they ref right. uh, William North that these places end in Newgate Jail, which I looked up. That's the place where they did all the public executions. Mm-hmm. So like you know, clearly this plot's got somebody's neck in the hangman's noose. Right, it's either got to be the most amazing gay sex you've ever had with Fredo. Or you're paying two people for not really a great reason because they haven't really sold us on how Fredo could be so alluring that he's better than, like, uh, Prince. What's his name? Mm. Rinseless. Rinseless. Uh, uh, I was going to say Prince Ribus, but that's uh, inaccurate. Rince Priebus. Priebus. Uh, I think that it's so it's interesting. Go. They also hint that Croft is like a lot more connected than we thought. Like I thought that he was kind of like a, like a journalist or writer, but he's like up in the upper society because he's mm-hmm. at a party with this prince and he's like kind of he almost seemed like he was a gatekeeper role. Like he was confiding with this other guy. It's like, oh, what do you think this Blaine? I think he's a Kurd. Do you think he's fit to to uh, you know, to have this much power? Like almost like he could go in there and be like, nah. Or like the guy in uh, what's this in in uh, Pride and Prejudice? He's he the, the the Croft is like this like Mister Darcy type to like the royal family where he mm-hmm. could come in and be like I don't know about the the true the how true blue this person is can blow up a relationship. Um, so he's a lot. He has more more power than I thought. A little bit more. That's all we got this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of Harlots. Uh, if you'd like to send feedback, you can do so at TV at baldmove.com. There's also threads on the forums which you can discuss it with your fellow Harlots fans, not your fellow Harlots. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe one or your two. Your fellow butt sluts. Your favorite. Your fellow Molly boys uh, on forums.baldmove.com. Uh, check out all the other great stuff we're doing on baldmove.com. And like I said, we'll be back next week on Bald Move TV. And until then, I'm your host Aaron, and I'm Cecily. Good night. Bye.